Check, 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 check. Yo, I'm still in Israel. How about that? And this episode should be called the Broken Record episode. You'll even wonder why I'm even including this intro because I'm about to say what I say a hundred times in the next 45 minutes, which in my opinion accurately represents the sucky situation we are in, specifically with children, in the event that eternal punishment is real. If it's real, they need to know. I mean, especially if they're responsible for themselves to save themselves, they have to know. And if it scares them, small price to pay. If it traumatizes them, small price to pay. I mean, what's the alternative? Not scare them, not traumatize them, for them to go to hell forever? And this was me as a kid, scared, traumatized, not even sure of my status, to be quite honest with you. Still didn't know where I was going, even though I'm scared shitless, trying to do everything right, begging God to help me do everything right. I mean, oh, so before we get into the trauma of hell, let's talk a little bit about Happy Meals. I'm going to go on a little rant because I've been out of the, so McDonald's brought the old school happy meal box back and i say no they brought the happy meal itself back because the happy meal was the daggum box and toy so i'll never forget i'd been out of the happy meal game for a good 14 years or so you know i was an adult adults don't eat happy meals they had discontinued the box at this point i remember my niece getting a happy meal and when she received it i thought they had forgotten to give her a happy meal. I was like, this ain't a happy meal. She swore it was. She said, look, Uncle Joey, look at the prize. I told her, I said, you've been ripped off. I'm sorry they discontinued happy meals because that, my niece, is a lunch bag with the freaking toy just thrown inside. It's not a damn happy meal. All the technology you guys get as children, this generation, at least fast food restaurants, took care of us as kids back in the 80s. I mean, they gave us a cool box and toy, i.e. Happy Meal. And hell, McDonald's even gave out paper-thin records one time. Records? Like you mean vinyl? It's exactly what I mean. So you get this record with your meal, you take it home, and you play it on your record player. And if the person on the record makes it through the menu song, which is basically a song with the full menu of McDonald's, the singer made it all the way without messing up. You won a million dollars now. Kids, when's the last time you had a chance to win a million dollars from a Happy Meal? Chick-fil-A do that for you? No, it's not their pleasure to do that for you. It's really a crying shame. Today's kids' generation, you need to demand to keep these Happy Meals great again. And I had a birthday at Burger King, by the way. I was like four. And it was it was a rad party, and my parents weren't super poor. Have you had a birthday party at Burger King? When they go back to the subpar, fake, not really a happy meal, happy meal, don't buy them, kids. Tell them you want the carton back. Say, if that was good enough for my parents, it's good enough for me. Give me the carton. And what would you, what would you attribute that to just all of a sudden everything you ever believed and known is blown up in smithereens and where do i go from here sort of feeling yeah like it's you have to relearn what's up and what's down and every i was a fundamentalist and i believe that the bible was literally true and my interpretation of the bible was, was i just had to kind of rebuild the way i understood the world outside of that thing that i always knew to be true when that's not true what what do you do with it i guess right. That makes sense. Do you typically do your schedule to where you've got downtime in the weekends? No, I'm really bad about making my weekends super busy. Yeah. Um, I'm better about it now, but I tend to like 
I want Monday off. I like having Monday off, but I, I haven't lately had that. So I can like make sure everybody's up to date, do kind of general maintenance on all my clients and not have to like answer a lot of calls and stuff like that. But uh, yep. lately it's been less downtime, but that's okay. Yeah. I've, I had like a year and a half of like nothing but downtime. Yeah. Or maybe more. With the pandemic and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Chip. Hey, man. How you doing? I'm pretty good. Have y'all officially met? We have, yeah. Okay, I think cool. so, man. Yeah. yeah. Did you do the one with Westboro? No, that with, was that was Jack. I can't. I can't keep all you guys straight. <laughs> I know what you mean, man. Yeah. All right. Pretty simple topic. I have no idea where it's going to go. I was thinking though, I would love to have Chip and Matt just sit down and argue about theology. That'd be fun. But <laughs> Chip, I don't think that you and I have had a chance to talk about this, and I've talked about it on here a few times. I want to go into a more specific direction, but I have just recently started to mourn my fundamentalist upbringing and the effects that it had on me. I was laying in bed one time and I was tracing back my childhood and I was thinking my childhood was was tough once I started to get into like OCD and anxiety and depression and all that stuff. But when did that happen? When did I lose my sense of of childhood? And the transition was very clear. It was right around the time when we went from Catholicism to a Pentecostal church that was more of a fire and brimstone sort of thing. From that point on, it's safe to say that I had just continual, I don't know if I was traumatized. My therapist would say, yeah, that, that, that's pretty traumatic for a kid to have to deal with this. Repenting for not witnessing during, you know, during school lunch. It was constantly saying the sinner's prayer. And I have recently, and I think it's all good, like I'm not mad at anybody, but I've recently, you know, even shed tears over this. And I just, I'm finally seeing now just how impactful that it's been in my life. We can get into the the theological part also, but how does anybody believe in eternal punishment, especially when you add the fire and aren't traumatized. That gets me thinking in all sorts of directions. Chip, you've told me before, we're talking about beliefs, and you're like, you know, the afterlife, hell, heaven, I don't really care what you mean by that is those aren't like super essentials we we don't know, but I don't see how any Christian knows about an eternal punishment place and it not constantly be wrecking you daily. <laughs> <laughs> that was probably this theory that thinking that drove the emphasis of that, that it was going to be uncomfortably motivating, both motivating in you wanting to make sure you end up in the right place and motivating in you wanting to share to make sure other people end up in the right place. So, you know, as far as the the the, the how people could believe in it, I mean, if you think about it, it's a pretty slick way to motivate people. You know, for, I mean, forgetting for the moment the right or wrongness of it, uh, it's a pretty decent PR campaign to uh, to get people in gear, you might say. Now, it's based on a pretty twisted picture of God, and uh, definitely kind of like everything you said, it doesn't engender this warm, cuddly, loving, I, I think I'll go sit in his lap, God which is my main beef with all of that, because it just predisposes us to have a crappy picture of God. And you you know where I'm at with kind of exploring the afterlife and what really happens to people. How do we not see God 
in that light. I mean, you you believe in, I would imagine your your guess would be that there is hell, right? I don't know, Joey. I can see where people build a case for it. The Rob Bells and others that have built a case against it. I don't know that their argument's that strong and clear, but I can also see a case for there not being the classical, traditional, you're going to burn in a fiery hell forever. The reason I, like I say to you, Joey, I believe in an afterlife. In other words, I believe life is beyond this physical realm. But as far as the details of heaven, and I mean, even the way we talk about heaven sounds pretty boring to me. I mean, I don't want to go sit on a cloud and sing songs. I mean, give me a break, man. If I, I mean, could nap on that cloud a lot, I would consider it. No, I, I dig a good nap now. I <laughs> but part Matt, of why I dig a good nap is you wake up to something exciting, more energized. I don't. Right. The thought of an eternal worship service, I mean, give me a break. How egotistical and insecure is God, man? I, here's the thing. I think we're trying to solve problems at a certain level when the real problem... Th- of interpretation and application is down further and deeper. If you get if you get wrong this much down here at the beginning, you're going to be way off out here. Well, you, you said that it's a slick campaign. If it's true and they really believe it's true, there ain't no campaign. We're talking where your soul is going to be forever. So in my opinion, I don't think we're doing a good enough job if that place exists. <laughs> we really yeah. should be yeah. getting on I the see ball. What you mean. I'll be honest, I've had that thought, even the way I think about God. I've thought to myself, dude, if you really believe there's an eternity away from God, it seems like you kind of ought to get in gear. I think the most important form of evangelism is living a life that represents God well. Does that make sense? And so for me, I am trying to encourage people to build a relationship with God and therefore end up in a good place but not with a panic button, if you know what I mean. Matt, you said that you relate to how I describe myself. Do you think that there's some people that are just wired up in a way that once they know the theology of heaven and hell, there's no getting out of that horrible discomfort mentally? But I I knew peers of mine, it didn't bother them. And I I was always so dumbfounded by why are we not all super scared about our friends and our family and all of that? I mean, were you around any Christians who threw the doctrine of hell around and kind of seemed like it wasn't that big of a deal? No, not really. I have a hard time with the idea that people actually believe it because of the lack of evangelism. If the Westboro Baptist Church is correct about their doctrine— then they are the only ones fulfilling what they understand to be the gospel by being these street prophets, you know? And, you know, they're horrible, horrible people, and they're despicably wrong, and everything about their doctrine is is from the, from the pit of hell. Uh, but they are an example of what the world would actually look like, what Christendom would actually look like if people actually believed that their neighbors were going to hell, I think. But I tend toward extremes, and I think you're probably the same way. I, I tend to grasp the most fundamentalist view of whatever theology, political philosophy, or whatever, and hold on to that. And you may be kind of the same, especially when you were younger, because I was that way, big time. I think it was five years ago or so, so she would have been nine. One of my daughters was in children's ministry, and the teacher— real good friend of mine, talked about hell. 
And little did we know, my precious little girl flipped into the same mode that I flipped into around that same age. And I'm so glad that we opened up a conversation and she told us about it because she was doing the repetitive praying, constantly afraid. And <laughs> it, it stumps me because if I still believed in that traditional view of hell, it feels like this would be the choice that I'm left with. I can either make sure I do everything in my power to see that my kids go to heaven, I would traumatize them along the way. I could make the choice of, well, I don't want to traumatize them in their childhood and mess up their brains when they're adults and all that stuff. Oh, but I don't want them to go to hell. Like That really seems to be the only option that we would be left with if we believe that way. An underlying belief, confidence, and again, confidence over time. Again, I wasn't raised that way, not in church. And when I say that, I'm not, I don't mean, I'm not under or overstating. Like I remember, I don't know, I was probably 10, 10-ish years old and we had an oil refinery kind of over the horizon, but it had one of those flames, you know? And if the clouds were just right, that part of the sky would light up like it was on fire. And having no church background, I remember one night seeing that and thinking, oh my gosh, it's the end of the world. Mm -hmm. Now, I didn't necessarily go to, oh, I'm going to go to hell kind of thing because I didn't, I wasn't full of that kind of thinking. But there was still a sense of impending negativity, you might say. But becoming a Christian in my early 20s, the God that I've experienced is so kind. He's so gracious. He's so fair. So when we talk about an issue like this, I don't know what to do with hell. But I know this, two things. One, if anybody ends up there, God's going to have tears. If anyone goes to hell and God doesn't cry, then I don't want to go to heaven. I don't want to spend my time in heaven with a God who's okay with that. Now, that sounds odd connected to this. In the, with the God that I know, it will be fair. What, how could it be fair for somebody to spend forever in a crappy place? That's for God to figure out, not me. I See, I, I don't start with hell and then what kind of a God. I start with what kind of a God and then say, I don't need to figure hell out. It, it's not a driving motivation for me. To be honest with you, the people that are motivated to come to God because of the fear of hell make crappy Christians. I don't have any interest in that. I want somebody who comes to God because they found he's the most amazing representative of humanity and deity that he's ever seen. And he's the most loyal, true, straight, faithful. I've never, there's nobody else I've found that is worth living and dying for. Matt, when you hear that, because when, when I hear what you just said, I, I, I really feel like, are we not seeing this? Because yes, ideally it would be great for someone to, to be drawn to God and feel God's love and grace and be compelled to give your life over. But if hell exists, I don't care if we scare people. When you hear that, Matt, the whole, I don't want people to go to God because of fear. Do you, do you think the same thing? Like, well, it doesn't matter. It's worth being afraid about. I've actually written about the same thing about how hell creates bad Christians. I think it does for the same reason that Chip just explained. Oh, yeah. If fear is the motivating factor behind something, just like we were talking earlier about cancellation, when we were talking about if, if fear of cancellation is your motivating factor for being decent and kind and respectful toward people, you and your opinion, let's just do that because we care about people, not because we fear what they might do to us. 
And I mean, the same thing goes with heaven and hell. The most interesting thing to me is looking at hell from a historical context. Why is it something that's so commonly believed? When did it become so commonly believed? And who made those decisions? And I really think it all boils down to the first uh, Council of Constantinople and Ephesus, where these things were codified as the truth. Ever since then, I think the gospel has been cheapened by that doctrine, by that cardinal doctrine that many people believe. And I used to believe that if you did not believe the right thing about, you were doomed for it. And everyone must believe X, Y, and Z things in order to be quote unquote saved. It's like this weird checklist that is nowhere in the Bible that you have to to function under in order to be quote unquote saved when it's not really a concept that people accept in the Bible. It is a it is a concept that is provided in the Bible. There's no exchange. What do, I, what do you I, mean I, by that? When Jesus said it is finished, if that if that is true, then there is nothing that you or I or anyone else can do to change uh, our fate. Right. That, that what is and done is done. That's that's who's that's who's got me. That guy that yeah. you just said, Jesus is the one that messed my head all up, and I think and for a good way, and it's because of what he said on the cross. It's right. finished, and because these people don't know what they're doing, I want them to be forgiven. Like those two things, what you just said about it is finished. And then him asking God to forgive people because of their ignorance. And we believe that God's going to turn around and I guess say, yeah, Jesus, that was a cute prayer, but I'm not answering that one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, oh, I think complete grace is, is the only grace that really makes any sense. If it's not complete coming from a complete and eternal God, why is God limited? Why is God so small and so incapable of doing the thing he set out to do? If Jesus came to save us, why did he fail? Because that's what it is. If 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 you reject salvation, if you go to hell, Jesus has failed. My question to both of what you're saying is, okay, then why did God do this? What's the purpose? That's a good question. As far as I, sending Jesus? No, just everything. Why did he create this zoo of craziness called earth with such pain, torment, and radical beauty. Why, why did he do it? I think to, and it's easy for me to say this, given what I think's going to happen to everybody in the, in the end, but I, I believe God wanted to share the love, expand it beyond the Trinity and make make intelligent human beings that are made in the image of God, that there can actually be logic in our heads. We can think and understand death, and we are recipients of God's love. If, if his goal was to bring people into a love relationship with himself, and it was, to use Matt's phrase, uh, total or complete grace, I'd say he, uh, to use y'all's terminology, he's effed up pretty bad because it sure ain't working. Yeah. As far as as far as the cross saving everybody, forget the cross for a minute. As far as, <laughs> as, I, like far as I like Kip, I'm going to take as, that out of context. I agree. Take I'm going to take out. it to see. No, 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 no. Here's my cross. point. As far as just the outworking of reality and history, if yeah. God created this whole mess to bring people into love, He's pretty impotent. Yeah, but I can go with the whole free will thing. And basically, God not wanting to make robots that are compelled to follow. Well, then, Matt's, then Matt's statement about grace is nullified. 
if there's free will, then it requires a decision. I, I disagree with that. Um, I don't think that you can choose something that you cannot know. So if you, you, if can you cannot, you can't, you cannot know. You cannot know until we are dead and gone if, if heaven is real or hell is real. I can't know um, God's real? I don't think that you can. I don't think that you honestly can, but maybe you can. I can't speak for you. I certainly can't. My brother and I bumped heads on this one. I think he would be more in line with you. I feel like the best I can say is I'm convinced there's a God. God loves me. Holy Spirit lives inside of me. But maybe let's, maybe let's shift into a technical, scientific approach None of us can prove God, so we can't know that we know that we know. When you say, yes, you can, you're you're saying, Chip Judd can. This is my experience, but bottom line is, I know you're not, but Joe Blow down the street may think you're a liar. So your personal experience can't be proof to anybody but you. Do you think that's a fair statement? I mean, I think it, in, in the sense of pure black and white logic, it's probably a fair statement, but it violates the way we do life in every other area. You know, if I tell you Hall's Chabas is a great restaurant, you don't have any way of knowing that until you go. The reason you go is because I told you it was a great restaurant. So we act on information with, we'll call it a 95% confidence. How do we know there was a big bang? I mean, a bunch of really smart people with slide rules and computers mathematically figured it out. Did they see it? Is there evidence of it? No. But there's a point where we we all have to decide what information is good enough for us to make decisions about reality based upon. And I'm one who happens to believe experience is relatively reasonable part of that collection yeah. of, you know, in a sense, what you do is you reverse engineer reality. You say, okay, there's, there's, there seems to be purpose and design. There seems to be relational uh, important. You know, you reverse engineer it and say, okay, what makes the most sense to me is there was a, a heart and a mind behind it. But then I look at the horror of it and I say, okay, there's got to be, there's got to be some other agenda, some other theme, because if it was just a heart and a mind designing things, they wouldn't be so jacked up. Let's say I believe in. We'll just go the whole way. Eternal conscious torment. The same daughter that really had some troubling thoughts on it. Let's let's say she actually comes to me and is asking theological questions after life. And I have all those traditional beliefs. And I go up to you and I'm like, Chip, I, I want to tell this girl the truth because she she needs to know so that she can do whatever she needs to do, accept Jesus and all of that. But I also don't want her to get on the same road that it put me on. In my opinion, that was the culprit. I didn't realize that until recently. And I'm, I'm not mad at anybody. I, it's hurtful. But Chip, I don't want to see Gwenny go down that same road. But right. what, what, do I, what do I tell her? I mean, I, I think the, there's some doctrines that, man, I, I get the whole, I mean, the age of accountability thing is, is funny because I don't know where we got that. But even, <laughs> even to high schoolers, it's like, Man, that is some tough stuff to have to process at, at such a... But what would you say? I mean, my mind's going several directions. I mean, I would say, and this isn't what you'd say to your daughter, but I would say the church has done a lousy job of picking its priorities of communication. In other words, like Matt said a minute ago, where way back there somewhere they decided these are going to be key tenets of how we present 
the, the blessings and challenges and consequences of Christianity. And I think they just did a crappy job picking what those should be. I would do everything I could to zero my daughter in on, on who God is, what his ultimate objective is, which is to have a relationship with you. There's people that, for whatever reason, chose to use fear to nudge people that direction. I don't think that was God. I think God wants you to see his kindness and the blue sky and the clouds and the beauty and the, you know, how you have a dog that wants to sit in your lap and love you. Well, that's all representative of God's character. And that's how he feels about you. And I would do everything I could to pound the love of God and push it that direction. And yeah. I would I would probably keep her away from sources that, you know, feed the other view. Some of what you guys said a minute ago, you know, well, what if it's true? Well, the bottom line is she's taken the steps necessary to not worry about it. But doesn't she need to be worried about it? I just, it, it sounds like you would encourage me to not teach her what I would find the highest priority that I need to teach her. Which is what? If you don't do something, you could possibly be separated from God forever. So if what's that's, the what, what's the something she needs to do? I'm 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 talking about traditional beliefs yeah, as far as I accepting know, know. Jesus and so I, let's assume for a moment that she believes the Bible and its teaching about hell the way some people present it, and then let's say you present the gospel in its traditional sense, or at least in the, uh, uh, what do you call it, evangelical, and she's accepted Jesus. Basically, what it boils down to is why isn't that enough to alleviate her fear of hell? I believe that the doctrine of hell poisons the well because you can trust, but you will always doubt your own trust, especially when you're young. That's the kind of thing that drove me into circles. I would think I know for a fact, and you would never get me to admit that there were doubts in my mind, but deep down they were always there, and those things were driven by a fear that I didn't believe the right thing, I didn't know the right thing, or had been misled. Um, And in that way, I think that the daughter of hell has been poisoning the well of the gospel for a very long time and diminishing its effect in the world. Well, I mean, you know, we're operating from the premise, like Joe's using his daughter as an example. For the sake of argument, we're assuming that it's real. And how do you deal with a daughter who's whatever? Well, where are you at with all of this, Chip? I'm curious. Just like you had to guess, do you think people are eternally existing apart from God, those who don't choose to accept Christ? Do you think they're annihilated or you literally just are like, I, that's not my concern? Like, I don't have anything to do I, with it. Yeah, I, I don't want to say go so far as to say it's not my concern. Where I've left it is the way hell has been presented, the way it's been strategically used does not equate or, or or line up with my sense of the God that I've built a relationship with. So I'm perfectly comfortable to say, God, I don't know what the life after this is going to look like. I'm not okay with, again, with the way I've heard it presented. So hear that. I'm not okay with the ultimate reconciliation or maybe even what Matt said a few minutes ago that total grace is grace, which I again, forgive me, Matt, and correct me if I'm wrong, but that Jesus died to save everybody, therefore everybody's saved. Scripture's just full of consequence. In other words, if I if if there's A and B in front of me, and I choose B when I should have chosen A, there's going to be a consequence. Please don't go from there to heaven and hell and all that. It's not what I mean. It's a violation of the very fabric of the universe that God created to think that you know it doesn't matter 
how you live, what you did, what you didn't do, who you listened to, who you didn't listen to, we're all going to end up the same. Then the purpose of the gospel is to just blow that up. Blow what up? What you just said. Blow up responsibility? No, blow <laughs> up the whole, hey, this is, it's, it's not, it is in our nature for there to be consequences for this consequences for that. If you do more of this, you might get that. If you don't do enough of this, you might not get enough. Like that's how we operate. The gospel, Jesus comes in and is like, I've destroyed all of that. Like, there's no more consequences. No, I, I definitely think there's consequences here on this earth. But as far as like eternal Why are there consequences here on earth. Well it's it because it's just the very nature of our beings. I mean if Why? we get well if we get addicted to drugs, it's gonna mess thing. us up. Charge too much on our credit card, we're gonna Maybe but if to, there's a creator and a designer, why did he build consequence into reality? Not the responsibility that's, on That's this not earth. the gospel. The gospel is that that responsibility has been taken. That yeah. responsibility has already been met. The crux issue. I don't even necessarily believe that Jesus was talking about saving anybody from anything but themselves or from the society that they were living in that didn't care about one another, that did not care about the neighbor, that did not care about the foreigner. I actually think that that's what Jesus was trying to save us from, is from a society where we don't love each other. The, the doctrine of hell practically ensured that that, that plan failed. And I, that's, you know, man, I, I kind of I like the way you worded that. I agree with that. I think when Jesus did the Last Supper, and I would put it in the context of a covenant, he was reenacting or enacting a new covenant. And he was saying to them, you know, drink this wine, eat this bread, and this is the new covenant. Again, I'm an old faith guy. Covenant means, like, if, if the three of us entered into a covenant right now, what we're saying, I walk away, and here's what I'm saying to Matt and Joey. I'm going to go pay your debts. And anything, anybody you owe money to, I'm going to take care of it. In other words, everything you owe, I'm going to pay. Everything you own, though, is now mine also. But then here's the interesting thing. Jesus goes to the cross, I believe, to defeat our number one enemy. And our number one enemy is me. Nobody can take my life anywhere crappy but me. I'm, I know bad things can happen. Jesus restored kind of what Matt just said. Jesus restored to me the opportunity to figure out how he meant for life to be lived in the first place. And he gives me the opportunity, and I believe the power, to figure that out incrementally. I wish he'd just do it Zapparino, but he doesn't. And so I think choice matters. I think, do I think it matters to the extent of somebody burning in hell forever? I don't know. That's a bit much for me, especially when I consider that a lot of the reasons people don't want Jesus is because of his kids. And I think, you know, that's kind of not fair that somebody would go to hell because I was a crappy Christian. Right. So, I mean, that's what I mean. I don't know what to do with it, but I know God's going to end up being fair. No, that I, we, we would agree. And I think you have fair kind of as a mystery and, and you could be right for me. Fair just seems kind of black and white. I've talked to tons of atheists who would love to believe they can't believe. And they say, hey, if there's a God, God knows what I need in order to believe. So God can do that at any time. I mean, I, I, I know people like that. And for God to say, yeah, you, you sought me and I know that you wanted me. You just never found me. So depart from me at the very least. Make it abundantly clear. Hey. There is a God. God loves you. And Chip, I've heard people respond to that by quoting, I think, Romans 1. Well, I mean, things are clear. We're, it says we just look into creation and, and know that there's God. Well, if that's the case, then everybody who was seeking God would look at a mountain and be like, oh, now I get it. There, there is a God. That's a little too, too easy. Probably don't like that, Chip. Well, it's, it's, you know, it's, 
And again, I, it was intended. It's obviously grossly oversimplified. Again, Joey, you've heard me say this before. I, I think one of the key things that the church has gotten wrong, and I understand why, it's, it's a, it, to me it's more frightening than hell, except for the eternal dimension. Way back in Genesis 1, God creates this, that, and the other. Day 7, he says, let's make man, let's make him in our image, let's make him in our likeness, and let's let them rule this planet. I think we haven't even begun to properly unpack that. For me, it covers an immense amount of ground. Here's my boiled down summation of what God wanted. He wanted to rule here from there through us. He wanted to establish the culture of heaven on earth through his kids. And there, that's why choice is so important, Joey. I agree choice is important on this earth, every single thing that we do. I just don't think that we have the capacity to make good choices when it comes to the afterlife. I think along the same lines of Matt saying, I mean, it's we can't know. And so how could that be held against people in general? I mean, especially when you visit the idea of people in other places where the gospel hasn't been shared. I mean, it goes on and on and on, but... Matt, are you familiar with uh, Andy Stanley? Do you know who that is? Somewhat. I know who he is. I don't, All right. I don't know anything so about somebody, yeah, Somebody who goes to Andy Stanley's church, actually, I remember a few years ago, he wrote some blog, Andy Stanley wrote some blog post or basically something along the lines of, we should be willing to question inerrancy if that means reaching more of the millennials by the gospel. And I was like, that's a really weird thing. If you if you believe the Bible's inerrant, then just why wouldn't we just stick with that? Almost like kind of in shifting in some of my beliefs, but I can't really go there. Well, this guy told me that he did the same thing about the LGBTQ community. And in this guy's head, he believes that there's a, a huge possibility that Andy Stanley becomes kind of the first big mega church to become uh, affirming. But it, it really is interesting how cryptic he handles things like that. Yeah. I don't really know much about Andy, Andy Stanley or how fundamentalist he is, but I'm really hopeful for the day when the doctrine of hell and salvation are seen as heresy by and large in the church, because that's what I think they are. You can let go of that heresy and you can Word be up. a lot more comfortable around in the LGBT community. I mean, Matt, where that takes my thought is like, why the cross? I don't necessarily believe that the cross was the point. I think that the the acts of Jesus were the point. The preaching of Jesus was the point. The cross was the result of standing up against the state. That shows you the power of a state that can tell citizens what and how to live and what to do, uh, which is exactly what Jesus was warning us against, is this loyalty to this thing that is being prioritized over God. I, I think that he was preaching a form of Judaism, which was rejecting the Roman state. That is why the cross, yeah, and for no other reason or purpose. What would you say is the fundamental flaw in humanity? If you the believe fundamental there is flaw, one? I don't know if there is a fundamental flaw. Really, I think the fundamental flaw is that we can be right and wrong, and mm-hmm. that's just part of it. I, I think the fundamental flaw is that life happens, and so you just, you just either flow with it or you don't, and you screw up or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fundamental flaw today in humanity, like that's killing us all today, I think is capitalism. Is what? That's is capitalism, which is one uh-huh. of the things that uh, I don't think Jesus would be very cool with. And see, I would like, take sure. that statement and I would just take it back two or three steps. Yeah. Capitalism is based on greed. 
Yeah. And, and greed is based on idolatry, and idolatry is based on fear, and fear is based on living from an alienated place from God alone and facing the immensity of creation and reality by yourself. Well, that is certainly depressing. Because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you ask me what's the fundamental flaw in humanity, I would say independence, a yeah. lack of reliance on... I, I, I'm with you there. Uh, yeah, I like that. And so for me, the gospel is the answer to that. The gospel is... Yeah, I agree. ...is God through Jesus saying, the bar's pretty high, you're never going to reach it. But I, two things. One, I'd love to put you in a position of forgiveness to where... You don't need to reach it. I did it for you. And two, I'll live inside of you and give you the power to get as close to it as you can. Chip, do you believe in penal substitution like Jesus had to save us from God? Reading the Blue Parakeet book, I love how Scott McKnight addressed the fact that there's all sorts of atonements that are dealt with in the Bible. And it's not necessarily meant to pinpoint, but I really resonate with the Christus Victor It's not Jesus saving all of us from a wrathful God, but it's God and Jesus basically on a rescue plan to defeat evil, the flesh, defeat any spiritual entities, like just take things back and become the king of this world. That would be where I fall. I do. I have a childlike faith that the cross was absolutely necessary for us to be able to be fully connected with God. I did hear something super interesting in that even if Jesus was not necessarily doing anything that had to be done, the fact that there was no retaliation, the fact that he surrendered to even death, that's counterculture to every single country, every single thing going on in this earth. That's just not what we do. And if you truly live the life that he's calling you to, it changes absolutely everything. Changes everything. My challenge to that, Joey, would be, again, that last version that even if you don't believe anything else, just his submitting to the cross was countercultural, et cetera, et cetera. But it's still that's not what I believe. That's no, not no, what no, I no. I know that, Joey. But it's still that way of thinking still leaves me alone. What the way I see it leaves is a God who originally created us to have a relationship with Him and and partner with Him and lean on Him. And Genesis three, the fall, we call it. To me, the the essential thought there is Satan's statement was. You can know what God knows, you can live forever, and you can uh, be like God. All three of those are things God wants for us. What he said was, you can do it without God. And so for me, the ultimate, the ultimate enemy is my tendency to think, I got this. And so for me, the, the key things I look for in a person, in a theology, is the humility of, of, of uh, impotence, the, the humility of, of I. I can't and don't want to do this by myself. Like I tell people all the time, the cross didn't solve our problem. It solved God's problem. God's problem was, you know, I'm holy, et cetera, et cetera. And I love these jerks and I want to get my hands on them and I want to help them with every problem they have. So I've got to legally do something that eradicates the ability of any error any of us makes from separating us from God. Not that we're not going to make more errors, but they no longer have the power to separate us from God. I'm I'm digging that. And um, and you you would say because this is how this is how I believed. You would say that there's something in the spiritual realm that we don't understand in which something had to be done. Like basically what you just said is it it's it's necessary, but I don't know if we can necessarily put a finger on exactly what's 
what's going on. I'm not sure I'd agree with you, Joey. I think I think scripture explains enough for us to have a pretty decent idea. Yeah. I guess what I'm asking though is do you think that there how things are, it requires sacrifice. Like the condition of humanity on this earth, there's something in the spiritual realm that we don't understand, but it was necessary for Jesus to come and fix it. Every area of everything everywhere in the universe operates on the principle of sacrifice. Everything. And the reason for this question is I've heard arguments that I can understand, but I don't resonate because I do believe that Jesus's death and resurrection was necessary. But there's basically some people that say God is the creator of the universe. He could do whatever he wants. So if he wants to say, I am declaring you all righteous without anything happening, God can do whatever he wants. And so I, I guess I'm saying we're on the same page. Something had to be done. If Trump can declassify those documents, God can declassify you. There you go. Nothing? Okay. That was an, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I, agree that, I agree that he could, but I've, I've basically bet my life on the fact that that's just not how he chose to do it. He chose to do it through a person himself in this supernatural process of incarnation, et cetera, et cetera. And he, I believe he chose to do it in a way that just like at the original creation, Joey, your thing about it, the whole end result is a love relationship, then we can't be robots. I believe at the cross of Calvary, Jesus again offers fallen humanity an opportunity to choose to have a relationship with him. And and if we don't, he leaves the 99 and he comes, finds us. I don't know the deal with hell, but I just know my experience of God is when we get over there and look at it, we're all going to go, gosh, that makes sense. Uh, Matt is going to be giggling and just being like, Joey, you were right. God exists and he loves me. And Chip, you're going to be giggling saying, and everybody's here too, Joey. <laughs> You I were would right. Love it. I would love it. <laughs> Anybody who wouldn't love it and calls themselves a Christian, like the yeah. Calvinists, I've actually read a Calvinist piece of work and it says that basically we rejoice over the soul being tortured forever because it's to God's glory. I'm like, oh my Lord. I know. I hate, I hate Calvinism. I hate it. <laughs> I wish you would have said I hate Calvinists just now. That would have been classic. Well, <laughs> I, hate I hate the belief system. <laughs> it's a bad one. 